0: All right and good morning, Ridge Point Church. Really glad that you're here this morning. Uh, listen, first of all, not that you need my permission to do this, but as the band's playing, first of all, didn't the band do an amazing job this morning leading us? In, man, just, I, I, just, I love that set, and, and you know, when, when they get into songs like Chainbreaker, if you want to clap and get into it, you have absolute freedom to be able to do that. One of the things I love this morning, is we actually just talked about this. Uh, but during that song, Where You Make Me Brave, it's really a powerful song, and, and sometimes I feel like we, we have kind of been, it's kind of ingrained in us that once the song's done, we clap, and, and we're not sensitive, man. God's Spirit could be speaking to us right now, and so I love the fact that we just had the conversation, and that's all got done, and there was no clapping. It's kind of like, let's just enjoy that moment. So that was really cool. Uh, but just, man, feel freedom when, he, when the band's here and leading us, and during the message, just get into it. Uh, especially this coming Friday night, we're having our night of worship, which kind of goes along with our theme this, this week. We'll talk more about this at the wrap-up portion. The guys come up and, and, and share about what's happening this, this weekend, next, this coming weekend. But we're kind of continuing with this theme of, of Therefore Go, which is the message series we're beginning this morning, on Friday night. Now, here's the thing. I, I believe we have an incredible band, and, and, and worship is often we associate it with, with music, but it's not always just a music thing. Although there is going to be a lot of music on Friday night, it's not just about music. Worship is about our response to God. Whether publicly or privately, for who he is and for what he's done. And this coming Friday night, we're gonna gather together as church, both services together. Invite your friends out. It's gonna be a great time. It is gonna be music heavy, but music is more than just music. Worship is more than just music. It's a response. And so we're actually gonna give you a chance during the service to respond in some different ways, Uh, in particular, some areas of service. We're announcing some stuff for the first time this coming Friday night. So if you're on the fence about it, uh, be thinking about it, because what we're gonna talk about today. We're going to put into practice this coming Friday night. But today we kick off this series called Therefore Go. We're going to get into exactly what that is. But first of all, before we do that, I'm a fan of, of a lot of things in life. There's a lot of things that I just enjoy. But one of the things that I'm a really big fan of is, is Chick-fil-A. Uh, man, it's, it's like Jesus chicken. Some of y'all thought I was kidding uh, when I said my, my second office is Chick-fil-A. And some of you I've actually met there for counseling, some different things. Like I love Chick-fil-A. I walk in and the people working there are like, JJ, do you want unsweet tea or, or Diet Dr. Pepper Day? Like they, uh, first name basis with a lot of people that work there. It's really cool. I love Chick-fil-A. And there's so much I love about it. Obviously, they have great food. Their service is, is top notch. Uh, like They hire some of the greatest, some of the happiest people. I'm especially fond of one person that works at Winter Haven, Chick-fil-A, just, just saying no biases, but, but there's one person I'm fond of, there are more people than that, but, but one person in particular. But, but there's so much I love about just their system and what they did, uh, that when I saw someone post this on Facebook this week, I said I couldn't agree more. Someone posted this on Facebook this week, and it said this, we need the CEO of Chick-fil-A to run this country, because that place runs more efficiently than anything I've ever seen. And based upon the alternatives we have right now, that's probably not a bad idea. Dan Cathy for president this year. Uh, Anyway, so so I love Chick-fil-A. I love everything about Chick-fil-A. But a couple of years ago, I heard a story uh, told by a guy. He's a pastor outside of Atlanta, a really big church out there. And he used to work for the corporate office at Chick-fil-A, in particular in the marketing department of the corporate office. And it was right about the point where they started to grow exponentially, uh, like, God was really showing them favors and really cool things were happening. And they just started to hit that exponential growth season in, in, in their business. And they knew at that point that if they made any wrong steps at that point as, they, as they're starting to grow, that it could really stop and thwart the momentum they had. And so they said, want to be careful. want to make sure we navigate all of these things. And at that point, right as they're experiencing exponential growth, they heard rumors that Burger King was coming out with a new chicken sandwich and that Burger King trying to kind of steal their markets was going to put millions of dollars of ad campaigns into the selling of those chicken sandwiches. And so they started to get, get concerned a little bit and say, we got to watch this because our sales are growing, but this could potentially slow down our sales. So as they roll out this campaign, what is that going to mean for them at Chick-fil-A? And this, this pastor who was, was sharing this story, they said, we're watching it really closely. And as they started to roll out that campaign, the exact opposite of what they feared happened started to take place. As Burger King rolled out uh, their market in trying to sell this, this chicken sandwich, instead of Chick-fil-A's numbers going down, their numbers started to spike. They started to go up. And they're watching that saying, wait, we don't understand why is that. But, but here's what, and there's probably been multiple reasons, but here's one of the reasons why they kind of discerned, here's why that happened. It's because people are now seeing ad campaigns on their TV advertising chicken sandwiches. And as soon as they started seeing the chicken sandwiches, they said, man, I could go for a chicken sandwich right now. And when you think of chicken sandwich, you think of Chick-fil-A. And so kind of the opposite effect of what Burger King was hoping happened, happened, is that people were watching, and Burger King didn't realize that, that if Burger King is the king of anything, they're the king of burgers, not of chicken sandwiches, when I think of chicken sandwiches, I think of Chick-fil-A. When I think of burgers, I think of five guys. <laughs> but but Burger King had their niche, and, and they kind of went away from their niche when they when they tried to do the, the chicken sandwich. You can offer alternatives, that's fine, but to put all their marketing dollars behind that. When it wasn't their thing, they were really working against themselves, and ultimately showing Chick Fil A favor by saying, "Hey, we're going to advertise for Chick, we're going to advertise for chicken sandwiches, and everybody's going to start going to your store instead of ours." See, there's a principle that was uh, it was around before this, but back in the early 2000s, a guy by the name of Jim Collins wrote a book uh, called "Good to Great," and in "Good to Great," Jim Collins started to outline what is known as the Hedgehog Concept. And the hedgehog concept begins with this basic question. And I'll ask everybody this this morning. Would you rather be a fox or a hedgehog? Just think about that for a second. Would you rather be a fox or a hedgehog? Now, I didn't do this first service, but I want to do this second service because we're more awake here. So I want audience participation. Which would you rather be, a fox or a hedgehog? If you'd rather be a fox, raise your hand. Awesome. If you'd rather be a hedgehog, raise your hand pretty evenly split it seems like the foxes might have a slight advantage well here's the thing they asked a bunch of people that question and most people said i'd rather be a fox as a matter of fact i want to see if this is going to change a little bit if if you had a choice if the fox and the hedgehog are fighting and you had to be the fox or the hedgehog in a fight which would you rather be now would you rather be the fox or would you rather be the hedgehog hedgehog's kind of coming back because here's the thing that we see if the fox and the hedgehog are fighting the fox can do multiple things the fox can run it can jump it can hide it can be like ninja-like it can it can play dead it can do all of these things and the hedgehog does one thing but does one thing well it defends itself it curls up in a ball puts its quills out of his heart bring it on fox and because of that, the fox is going to leave with his tail tucked between his legs and quills stuck in its hide. And the hedgehog concept was taken from that idea. And the hedgehog concept, and this is good for any organization. Jim Collins is a business leader. It's good for businesses. But it says this. There's this hedgehog concept, and it says there are three basic questions that we have to ask ourselves. Number one, what are you deeply passionate about? What is it that, man, you go to the bed thinking about and you wake up and you can't wait to attack that thing that day? Number two, as an organization, what drives your economic engine? What's bringing in your finances? And number three, and for me most important, is what can you, what can you be the best in the world at? Now, where those three things, where those three circles combined, right in the middle, that's our hedgehog. That's the one thing that we want to make sure we're doing that one thing really, really well. Not all the other things, but that one thing, make sure we're doing that one thing really, really well. And that's the basis of what became known as the hedgehog concept. It was before Jim Collins, but it's made famous in his book, Good to Great. Now, I say all of that to say this. There's there's some principles that we could learn as an organization, as, as a church, about the hedgehog concept. There's things we could talk about. But this series that we're getting into this morning... Isn't a vision series for the church, lowercase c, but this is a mission series, capital M, for the capital C church. So I don't want to look at it from the standpoint of and when it comes to Rich Point Church, what are those things? But when we look at the church universal, when we look at the church globally, what are these things? What is the thing that we can best be known for? What is the one thing? If we can focus on one thing What's the one thing we want to make sure that we're doing well? In order for us to get there, we look at the life of Jesus. And we look at how he grew up and how he lived. Like, for Jesus growing up, he was born. And, and he grew up, in, and even though he lived this in this life, he grew up just like you and me. He was a child, and he was a teenager, and he had to learn, and he had to grow. And about the time he turned 30 years old, he started going into ministry. And he started ministering for three and a half years And the first year he started to minister, he was in relative obscurity. Not a lot of people knew who he was. But after the first year, the popularity started to rise and more people started to hear about Jesus and they started to see the power of his teaching and see the miracles that he performed and they just were attracted to him. And so after the first year, in the second year, his popularity grew and it became known as his year of popularity. And then in the third year, he started to face opposition. And for about a year and a half, he faced direct opposition that ultimately culminated with people coming and bringing charges against him. And in kind of a farcical trial, he's found guilty, he's beaten, and he's ultimately crucified, uh, which we know is ultimately for our sin. But he was crucified because he claimed to be God, and they didn't think he really was. Now we know the rest of the story: Jesus three days later rose from the grave, and forty days later, after appearing to a group of people, a bunch of different people, he ascends into heaven. Well, I want to look at, as we launch out in the series, I want to look at Jesus' final words. And as we look at Jesus' final words before he sends into heaven, as we look at those words, we see the, this challenge to us as a church today, 2,000 years later, about now that we know this, what are we supposed to do with this challenge to therefore go? And so today, because I think it's important to answer the question why, today we begin by saying, okay, why is it that we go? Why is it such a big deal? When we talk about the word gospel, the word gospel simply means the good news of who Jesus is. Everything we do today is based upon the gospel because I believe at the center of the hedgehog concept for the church is the gospel. If someone were to come right now and just look at the church in the modern day United States or particularly look at our church and say, okay, what is it the church is about? If they had no context at all of what church was about and we allowed them for a year's time just to watch everything that we did as a church, and after a year, we ask them, what is the main thing the church is about? If I polled 15 different people who had no context of church, who had no understanding of what church was about, if I asked them, watch us for a year, and after a year, tell us what's most important, we would probably get a lot of feedback we'd probably get some people to say, well, man, for them, they, they really value music. Music's important. And so I think music is probably a big goal of the church. Or, or maybe it's the, the outreach in the community. Maybe it's working at high schools or working at day of service stuff. Like that seems really to be their heartbeat or even international missions. Or maybe it's what's happening over in kids' area or student ministry. Or, or maybe it's some facet of ministry, which are all very important. They're, they're means, they methods. But at the end of the day, if we're going to be known for one thing, I would want to look at the words of Jesus as he's about to leave this earth. And he has these final sending words for for his disciples. And if if, if there's anything I want to be known for, it's, it's that. And so we pick up today, there's four different gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each of those accounts is an account of the life of Jesus taken from four different perspectives. The book of Matthew and Mark, Luke, and John ends where the book of Acts begins. At the end of each of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's a challenge from Jesus to his disciples. At the beginning of the book of Acts, there's a similar challenge we'll look at in just a little bit. But the most famous one is found in Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to begin in verse 19. In the beginning of chapter 28, verse 19 of Matthew's Gospel, it has these two words. It says, therefore, go. Go. The basis of this series is found in those two words, therefore, go. Now, when I got to be 19 years old, I'd kind of grown up with a little bit of church involvement, but I really didn't know what it meant to, to truly follow Jesus. At 19 years old, I realized what a relationship with Jesus meant, and, and I started studying the Bible unlike anything I've ever studied before. I was, I was a student at the University of Florida, and I started studying the Bible. I started sinking my teeth into it, and I started learning everything that I could learn. I thought I had a relationship with Jesus, but I found out later on, I really did it. And so at 19, I started asking questions. I started taking classes. And I remember early on when I started learning how to study the Bible, one of my early professors said this, whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, find out what it's there for. Whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, find out what it's there for. So we look at this teaching at the end of Matthew's gospel. And if it says therefore the first question that we have to face is okay what is it therefore what, what why is it he's saying Matthew's writing or Jesus speaking saying therefore based upon all of the things that you've seen and heard now the commission is for you to go so so what we're saying in this gospel for the early readers and early people that are hearing this message They're watching it and they're saying, based upon everything that you've heard and seen about Jesus, based upon the miracles he performed, based upon the power of his teaching, based ultimately upon his death and his resurrection, based on all of those things, because of all of that, you're now commissioned to go. Now we say, okay, that's cool, but that was 2,000 years ago. They were actually eyewitnesses to the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We are not. If, if, if it's you and I, if we're hanging out today, and we see a person who we knew was dead four days ago, and they walk up and start talking to us, and we know they've been dead for at least three days, and they walked up and started to talk to us, you and I would be going to our friends and saying, you will not believe what I just saw. This person was dead, and he's now alive, because we we're eyewitnesses to something that we didn't think was possible. It was, it was a true miracle. And so these contemporaries of Jesus, they see Jesus raised from the dead and they give this commission to go and to share that message and it just makes sense that they go. Well, I'm here to argue this morning that even though physically Jesus isn't before you and me, he's every bit as much alive today as he was then. And the story that we have today is every bit as powerful as it was back then. We can talk with just as much uh, of, of being convinced of this truth as they did back then. But see, what I see about the contemporaries of Jesus is this: The contemporaries of Jesus, whether followers or not, see, there were some people who, during Jesus' lifetime, chose not to believe His message. And even afterward the resurrection, they chose not to believe that, and, and so they were against the gospel message. And you had other people who said, no, we embrace the gospel message so much so that it becomes the most important, dominant theme in our life. What we don't see in their time period is indifference. People are either fully bought in, embracing the message, saying this is what our life is about, or they say, I reject it entirely. There's not a lot of people, and there's nobody that's in that that kind of middle window of saying, "Eh, I I might believe it, it might be true, but it really doesn't impact my life. But we fast forward 2,000 years. And we say, what about mainstream Christianity today? And I'm not saying any of these things are are bad. We like to talk about things that are maybe not confrontational. We like to talk, man, come to church, you'll enjoy the music and the message will be relevant and kids and students. We talk about all of these things, but a lot of times we're intimidated to talk about what it really means to, to, to have a relationship with Jesus. And so what happens is right in the middle of this, we all kind of say, I feel more comfortable sitting here. Jesus died and he rose again. And he gives, if we have, if we have, if we're children of God today, that single event has forever wrecked in a good way, but it's wrecked our lives. And we leave that idea and we say, Man, that, that I was on fire. I love that idea. But at some point, that message, I gotta water it down and, and I gotta swim in some some more more cool water not not as not as hot as i was before but i want to swim in this current where everything is more mainstream and i don't want this message to be the predominant theme in my life and jesus wait a minute if i died and i did if i rose again and i did and if i changed your life and if that's where we're at today then he has he's saying why is that act not today affecting and changing our lives So Jesus says, based upon all of that, therefore, go. The rest of the verse says this, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So he says, here's our challenge. We're supposed to go. We're supposed to make disciples. In fact, the actual text says, while we are going, it's assuming that we're going to go, we go and we make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always the very end of the age it's a commission to go but along with the commission go there's a promise that as you go or while you're going i'm going to be there with you i'm not going to leave you alone in this journey but i'm going to be there right beside you and and as i look at this particular text there's two things that i have to point out number one i have to point out who the audience is you see i'm convinced that looking at mainstream christianity today what what we want is well we're going to leave that to the experts Like, we're going to leave that to the people who know what they're doing. Like, those people that are going out and making disciples, they have to know a lot of the Bible. And and so you should probably have some Bible schooling, and I don't have that. They should probably be, like, pastors or youth pastors or or involved in a church somehow or missionaries. And, And so we're going to leave that to the experts because there's two things in our world that we're not allowed to talk about. What are they? Religion and politics. And yet everywhere we go right now, what is everybody talking about? Politics. When it comes to our personal relationship with Jesus, we say, well, I don't feel comfortable talking about that. And I understand we live in a different culture Day We'll talk about that later. But at some point, if Jesus came in and he changed our lives, and we're silent about that, we're not doing anybody any favors by not having that message impact us in such a powerful way that we want to go and make disciples of other people. And so Jesus chose normal people. He didn't choose the upper elite Pharisees and the the Sadducees who were really smart. He chose fishermen. He chose tax collectors. He chose a bunch of people that would fit in in Polk County. They're just normal, everyday people. Like, they weren't super spiritual. But he said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go and we're going to share the story of what Jesus did in our life. And literally, we're going to see later on that they start to impact not just their own little community, but these bunch of ragtag ragamuffins start to impact and change the world because of the message. Number one thing I had to point out was the audience he's speaking to. He's speaking to normal people just like you and me. And number two, I got to point out the message that they had. The message wasn't complicated. It wasn't, it wasn't hey, go and do all of these things. If you do these 25 things, then you can hope to have eternal life. Jesus says, here's the message that he died for you and me. That he died to take away our sins, and all it takes is faith in him. It's not going to church, it's not uh, reading the Bible, it's not praying. All those things are good. It's not the music you play or the stuff that you do or the car that you drive. None of those things are essential. The only thing that matters, in fact, Paul says this, he says, I determined to know one thing about you, Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's, That's what I care about. He said this is, for us, this is the hedgehog concept behind what we do as followers of Jesus is the gospel message. And so this is it. The message is the mission. It's not the other stuff that we tend to focus on. It's all important. Listen, I love all of the means and, 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 and the stuff that we do. I love the music and I love the students and the children and, and, and service in the community and, and all of those things. But they're just methods. The message, not the methods, is the mission. And if we ever get away from that, we get away from the hedgehog concept of what the church is supposed to be all about. The message, not the methods, is the mission. And so Jesus comes and he says, listen, church, get this. The message is the mission. And as you go, go with that message that I died, that I rose again. Go with the message that only through the gospel, only through Jesus is salvation possible. We flip over, do this real quickly with me. Flip over to Acts chapter 1. In in verse 8, we see a a second commission being given. This is literally just that Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then it says this, which is about to happen in Acts chapter 2, by the way. But he says, and you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, in Samaria into the end of the earth. So he gathers together these disciples, which he's about, we're about to name. He gathers together just these people who've been following him, who again are not spiritual, other than they've been following Jesus for three and a half years. And even then there's some fighting uh, among them. But he calls them together and he says, listen, the Holy Spirit's about to come upon you. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and, and Pentecost is about to happen and all these things take place, when that happens, you're going to be witnesses First in Jerusalem, and then in Judea, and then Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Now, we have, we have a map so we can kind of see what this looks like. Jerusalem was right in the middle of all the roads kind of lead right there. Right in the middle is the city of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is in the middle of Judea. So he says, first, in your city, you're going to be witnesses. And then in your surrounding area, Judea is that surrounding area. So first in Jerusalem, in that city, in that small area, then in the larger area of Judea, and then you see just north of that, at the very top, we see Samaria. He says, you're going to be witnesses in, in your city, in your larger area, then ultimately in the area north of you, and then eventually you're going to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. And so if we were to write that now, if we were to make like the Polk County edition of the Bible, which we don't have to have, by the way, it's not a good thing. But if we did, he would write to us right now, say, okay, Ridgepoint Point Church, your first witnesses in Winter Haven or Auburn now. Your first witness is right here in Janfield Village, JPV. Like, do that right here. Be an effective minister here. And then your, inc- your, your influence will increase. You'll be influential in your city, then maybe in your county. You'll be influential in Polk County, and in the state of Florida. And then be advanced a little bit north into Georgia. But then literally you'll be witnesses to the ends of the earth. Seven years ago, about about this time seven years ago, uh, Chris and I had just started on staff and we started to to meet with a guy by the name of Brett Durbin. Brett was was and is the head of Trash Mountain Project. And, and Brett had come to us and said, hey, we're trying to plan some trips. And they were kind of a fledgling organization. And they came to us and, and, and Tim had asked, our pastor at the time asked me to lead this trip. And I said, well, I've never been out of the country and the church had never been out of the country. So I said, all right, let's go do this. And it was the last thing I would have imagined being a part of. But then through that initial meeting, to know that we had 17 people go on the first international trip, and, and then from that, we actually had five of those uh, individuals that were on that first trip eventually surrendered to full-time ministry and going at, down into Dominican Republic, and I had a chance to visit them last week, which we'll talk about in two weeks. But, but to think that, man, literally God could come into our church and say, hey, here," as you start to be an influence and, and a leader in your community, as you have a chance to make an impact, it's not just going to end there, But he's going to take people and literally start to impact the world. Well, that's what Jesus is doing here. He's speaking to the disciples. He says, listen, I want you to begin in your region. I want you to be an effective witness. But as your influence increases there, it's not going to stop there. But you're going to have opportunity after opportunity to be an influence outside of your regular sphere of influence. So the next couple of weeks, next week, even during the, uh, as we go out for the church picnic at Summers Young, we're going to have a short time of worship and a short message out there, and we're going to talk about how we can best, as you're in the middle of our community, what's the best way for us to impact our community. And then in two weeks, we're going to talk about, okay, and what does that mean for us as we look to do things internationally? What does 2017 look like? Uh, some of that you'll hear Friday night, but we'll talk more about that in depth in two weeks. So we're talk about today, the why, next week, local missions, the following week, international missions. And Jesus is saying, that's the prescription. If you're effective locally, you're going to start to have an impact globally. And so he sends them out these final words. Uh, you receive power. The Holy Spirit has come upon you. Be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then literally to the ends of the earth. Then in verse 9, it says this. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, watch what happens. He was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were there gazing to heaven, as, as he went, behold, two men, these angels, stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So, so they're sitting here. These disciples of Jesus are watching. And it's been really cool. Like they've been hanging out with Jesus for 40 days. He was dead and he was, now he's alive. And, and this is really cool. And then it says they're standing there watching. He has these final words. And then he starts to ascend into heaven and he's gone. And it literally says, they're all just kind of looking up like, is Is he coming back? Like, legitimately, I think that was in, in their mind. Like, that was that was a cool trick, Jesus, but we need you down here. Like, I legitimately think that's what they're thinking. And these angels come and say, why are you still looking for him? He's going to come back. But he just gave you the commission. He just gave you what you're supposed to do. And so it says about them, they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they're staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. It says in verse 14, and all these were with one accord. They're devoting themselves to prayer together, with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So said, man. They got this commission, and that's weighing heavy on them. So they, they go up, and they say, okay, there's, there's something unifying about what we just received. It's time for us to go. It says they're all in one accord, not, not the car. They're in agreement. They're in agreement saying, yes, we know what we're supposed to do now. Let's Let's go do this. So they're in one accord, they were in agreement, and they begin to pray for, for God to give them direct, this is what we're supposed to do, let's go do this, for God to show them favor. And they did, and, and he did. When we gather together as a church, and we're in agreement saying, man, this is what we're supposed to do, and we start to pray to be that level of influence in our community. There's unity behind that, and there's passion for it. God can do incredible things as long as we remain focused on our hedgehog concept. The gospel is why we do the very thing that we do. I'll look at one more set of verses over in Romans chapter one. So skip to the next book of the Bible if your Bible's open. Romans chapter one, reading two verses, fifteen and sixteen. Here, Paul the the great missionary, the, the the later disciple of Jesus, is riding to the church in Rome. And he says this. He says, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. He says, listen, I can't wait to get there because I have this great news about Jesus. I, I was against him. Before Paul was a murderer, he hated Christians. God changed his life, miraculously changed who he was. And he says, I can't wait to get among you Because I want to preach, and the word preach simply means to tell the good news. Everyone's always, man, I don't want to preach, and I don't want people preaching at me. Preaching just simply means you're going to tell good news. We're not coming with condemnation, we're coming with the hope that is the hope for this world. And so Paul says, man, I can't wait. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And then he says this, such a powerful verse. If you underline verses in your Bible, if you haven't gotten that down in Romans 1.16, if you haven't memorized this, memorize this verse. It says this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Historically, the gospel first went to the Jews; eventually, went to the Gentiles or the Greeks. But he says this: He says, "I am not ashamed of the gospel." We get in this this middle stream of, "Hey, I don't want to offend anybody," and 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 so it's going to kind of I can talk about church and talk about music, but I don't want to talk about the exclusive claims of Jesus because. Some people don't like that. And I I understand that. Like, I understand our culture has changed. But Paul writes and says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For in the gospel, there is power. It's the power of God for salvation. See, a couple of things we see about the gospel. First of all, the gospel is liberating, but it's also exclusive. The gospel is the thing that sets us free There's no other name given among men whereby we can be saved outside of the name of Jesus. The gospel sets us free. It's because of what Jesus did that you and I can have freedom, that we can have true freedom, but it's only found in Jesus. It's not found in anybody else. So the gospel is liberating, but it's exclusive. The gospel also drives you and me to be unashamed. Like when we go out, and I'm saying we have to be careful about how we do this. Our culture changes. Some of our workplaces, we're not allowed to even talk about faith things, and that's fine. But at the same time that that is true, and we have to honor that, we also have to realize that, man, Jesus set us free. And if Jesus set us free, then at some point through the way that we live our life, whether it's through being a vocal witness, which Scripture calls us to be from time to time, or whether we're in a form where that's not possible, but, but I'm going to be as, as, as loud a witness as I can be while still being silent as, as is humanly possible. i got to find a way to be that effective witness because I have the hope for the world contained right here. And when I sit here and, and I say, well, but I'm going to keep that to myself and I don't want to offend anybody, we're not doing them any favors. So the gospel is liberating, but it's exclusive. The gospel leaves us unashamed. But the gospel also is global. And what I mean by it being global is that literally the gospel is available for everybody. It doesn't matter what our past baggage is. It doesn't matter the stuff that we've been fighting with our whole life. When Jesus called normal people, he called people just like you and me. He had baggage. Some were criminals stolen from other people. Some were murderers. they taken lives. But Jesus comes and says, this is the message, and the message is liberating. God loves you so much. And he sent his son to die in your place, and that, and that message is, is for everybody. So listen, when Paul says, I determined to know one thing among you, Jesus Christ and him crucified, we do a lot of stuff as a church, but never want to get away from that hedgehog concept. This is why we do what we do. If you've been going to Ridgepoint Church for some time. You know that we don't do a lot of big, heavy invitations. I want the Spirit of God to speak to you, and there's a place for invitation, but we don't do a lot during the service. But as we talk about a message that's so point on about the gospel, I want to make sure, as we share the message, that, that if you've never heard that before, or maybe you misunderstood or never gave your life to Christ, that, that you have a chance to respond and, and to make that decision this morning. So, if you would just bow your heads and close your eyes, we're going to pray. And here's the thing we're not going to do a a big, drawn out invitation. We're not going to do any of that stuff uh, this morning. But I want to know this this morning. I want to know if, if there's never been a time when you've truly given your life to Christ. You see, when I was younger, before I was 19 years old, I thought I had, but I didn't really know what that looked like, I didn't know what that meant. So 19, sitting in church service just like this, I said, God, it's time for me to get real with you. I know now that Jesus died to take away my sins, and I need to call upon him as my Savior. And so if you've never done that before, but you say, man, I want to make sure that today, October 16, 2016, I want to make sure that I make that decision, that I want to follow Jesus. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come down front. I'm just going to ask you in just one second, just raise your hand so I can pray for you and say, yes, today, I want to make that decision To truly follow Jesus, if that's you this morning, if you would just raise your hand, I thank you. I see that hand. I see those hands. Thank you. Anybody else? I see that hand. Thank you. Anybody else? Father, I thank you this morning. The four people in this service and the person in the last service that that gave their life to Jesus. And God, it's not about praying a prayer. It's not about raising a hand. It's about realizing the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And realizing the gospel is the core thing behind everything that we do. God, I pray that, that for those who made that decision this morning, the Bible says there's a party going on in heaven right now because of those, your children returning home. And God, for others, maybe they're on the fence. They didn't want to make that decision this morning. I pray that in the next couple of days, you convict their heart about making that decision themselves. Or God, for those who made that decision in the past, maybe we got away from the idea of being unashamed about our faith. And and we made it about all this other stuff. It's all cool and it's all important. We love all that stuff. God, if we're honest, it's, it's no longer the hedgehog concept of our life. The message of Jesus. God, steer us towards that. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're one of the people who raised your hand this morning, if you would just, as the band's playing at some point during the service, as we wrap up, uh, just let us know on the back of the the connection card I want to get with you this week. Um, But just as the band leads us, just, just be free. We talked about this at the beginning of the message. Just be free as we worship together. Thank you. All right. Please be seated. As a little bit of a postscript to today's message, the host will come up in a second, wrap everything up. But as a postscript, today we're talking about the capital M mission for the church, uh, and and in the midst of that, we're not talking about the vision of the local church. But I did want to come up the first week and talk about how the mission impacts our vision for a little bit. Uh, I shared a, a couple of weeks. Got a chance to go visit my friend's church uh, over in Mission City. He invited me to come and speak and. And, and uh, Dustin's been the pastor there for a couple of years now. And they're doing a really, really good job. And their youth pastor is a kid that I trained in ministry. And so he invited me to come speak. I shared some of Wonder Life with them. And I was really excited about the opportunity. But part of my excitement was I want to kind of see what they are doing. I'd heard a lot of reports about some things that were taking place. There's a similar style to Ridgepoint. Uh, but just the last couple of years, God's really shown them favor. And, and, and I think they have between six and 800 people that come on a weekly basis. And so I said, I just want to kind of see what they're doing. And so I went in asking myself and asking God, okay, what can I learn in this environment, in this experience that can take back and and impact us as a church? And so I went there really fired up. I had to speak three services that they had. I was like, man, let me go see this. I'm sure they're doing some incredible things we can learn and and take away. And I went there and I said, for the most part, they're doing what what we're doing. And really not doing it better. There might be incremental gains, gains that they had, but there are things we do incrementally better. I thought their band did a pretty good job. I might be biased, but I thought our band was a little bit better. Uh, I, literally, I thought, man, they're, they're good, but I, I love our band. I was glad to come back, and they had some good, they had a guest service team that was really good, but I watched it. I thought, man, our, our service order flow is better. And, and listen, I want you to understand that, that church growth is a God thing. It's not an organizational thing. We can do our part, don't get me wrong. I think there's always things we're observing and watching, but ultimately, praise to God, we want to see that happen in our church. And, and so it was kind of going there and seeing that, coming away, saying, okay, then what does that mean for us? And then also two key conversations. Uh, there's someone in the community that uh, kind of comes in every once in a while. They go to another church, but they're big time in the community. And so every six weeks or every two months, they kind of pop their head in and literally had a conversation with him two weeks ago. And he said, JJ, we love coming to Ridge Point because we love your church. He said, we're kind of connected to our church, but we love coming our, to your church because in particular, they point out the band. They said, we love the band. We love the worship. And he said, we visited and messaged some big churches in the area. We visited all these churches. he said, you guys have the best worship in Polk County, or at least in Winter Haven. And so he said, man, when when we want to get our worship on, we go to Ridge Point. I said, that's awesome. He's like, man, you guys are right where you want to be. And and the church is going to grow. I'm like, that's that's awesome. I'm glad for that. And someone else had a conversation with one of our leaders. They'd visited. Same thing. They're going to a really large church. They said, you guys are right on pace where you need to be. Some really cool things are going to happen. And, and I get excited, and yet I look at it and say, okay, that's, that's cool, but what does that mean for us reaching some goals we want to reach this year? Uh, we set out, setting, I think, four goals, three goals this year, and we've accomplished two, but the third one was to, to reach 250 adults on an average Sunday morning at Ridge Point Church. And so we look around this morning, and there's some empty chairs, and you can view it that way, you can say, okay, I see some empty chairs, or you can view it this way, I see some people, I see some chairs full of people that just aren't here yet. And it's humorous, but I think it's true. Like, as we look around, there are chairs that are, that are waiting to be filled. There are opportunities. See, the only thing I think that, that we're lacking in terms of saying, man, we're going to reach that goal is, is really two things. It's, it's reaching people and connecting people. Those are two things that have to happen. And that's not just up to a couple of people. It's not just up to a leadership team. It's up to all of us to say, what is the part? Jesus chose regular people and said, now go and reach the world. In the book of Acts, we see miraculous things where thousands of people were being reached every day. Not because a couple of people that were trained really knew what they were doing, but because the church was in one accord and they prayed saying, God, show us that that increase we're looking for.